Living Wisely, Living Well, March 21st. Criticize no one. If you must offer correction, give that person a way to preserve his self-respect. When others feel your support, they will support you in turn, perhaps at times when you need it the most. It's a really interesting, sweet way to put it. Um, You know, sometimes people think they're being righteous when they're being self-righteous. Oh, you know, you've misbehaved in a certain way and I'm upholding the standards by telling you what you've done wrong. Swami says often you see that a lot in churches (laughs) where, you know, church people will prove their loyalty to the faith by standing in judgment of those who fail to live up to it. But as Swami put it, love and charity just go out the window. You know, it's a very serious matter. I know that in the very early years of Ananda, a man who was put in a position of leadership um, succumbed to the temptation of his position and behaved in ways that were really quite inappropriate. As it happened, Swami Kriyananda was in India when the whole situation came to light. And um, so it, we, it, the, the excuse I will offer is this was 1972, and all of us at Ananda were very new, very immature, very inexperienced, and we knew very little about human nature. So s- several people, three of them specifically, I, I was not one of them, took it upon themselves to uphold the standards of the ashram by confronting the wrongdoer and condemning his actions and, you know, demanding a a kind of like public apology like this. Well, the man himself had, relatively speaking, a rather fragile sense of himself, which is why he had behaved badly in the first place, because he wasn't that strong. But he had a fragile sense of himself, and feeling himself so condemned, he didn't have the ego strength to face his weaknesses, so the only thing he could do was defend himself. But he felt inwardly absolutely humiliated. So, six weeks later, or whatever it was, when Swami Kriyananda returned, the situation was a mess, because the man who had been humiliated was absolutely refusing to accept any responsibility. Those, the vigilantes who had confronted him were more and more self-righteous about the necessity to maintain the standards of the ashram, and so on like that. Swami's response, when the three came to him thinking that he would be proud of them for standing up for the moral truth, he said, he went after a gnat with a baseball bat, is how he put it. And Swamiji was heartsick. And then it got even more complicated because, well, this is what he said, but let me add this. He said to them, he said, you needed to give, a, give this, this man who, who, who transgressed, and there was no doubt that he did, he said he has a lot of pride. You needed to give him a way to be able to extricate himself without being publicly humiliated. Then he would have been able to work on himself and improve. He said, but by humiliating him to the extent that you did, he said he will never be able to face what he did. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. He just, he, he found himself so embarrassed 
um, that he actually had to leave Ananda and even had to become negative toward Ananda just in order to save, save himself. And furthermore, Swamiji remarked, which was very interesting, he said, I knew this man had a weakness. He said, and I knew that, that giving him a position of leadership and there, therefore giving him an opportunity to make a mistake he said, he said, I knew it was a calculated risk, but this is how he put it. He said, I couldn't protect him from his own karma. It was karma that had to be faced. But then Swami added, very sadly, I didn't expect to be 10,000 miles away when it, came, when it came to a head. In other words, if Swamiji had been present and this man needed to be corrected, Swami could have done it respectfully with regard for the man's many fine qualities. Because his position of leadership was well-deserved. He had many fine qualities. He was weak in, in this area and perhaps in others, but he was weak in this area and temptation was too much for him. But that didn't negate all the reasons why he had, when he, when he could honestly stand with pride in who he was. And it was tragic, actually, and it never, it never resolved itself. It was, of course, the karma of that man not to have Swamiji's protection at that all-important moment. But nonetheless, there it is. Now, I certainly took a salutary lesson from that. And I also took a salutary lesson from the many times in my own life when I have had to be corrected. And observing, uh, when it was Swamiji who issued the correction, how skillfully he always made me feel encouraged, encouraged, rather than discouraged. Swamiji went so far as to say whenever Master scolded them, which he did when it was necessary, no matter how sternly Master scolded him, which he did not do that often, but even if he did, Swamiji said, you always felt encouraged. He said, whenever you feel discouraged, so let me put it in simple words, Satan is influencing you. Because there's always hope for all of us. There's, there's, it's, it's simply not possible to fail forever. Um, you only fail a certain number of times. And then after that, you, you, you get it right. It's just as simple as that. Even in one very interesting incident I had with Swamiji, um, certain people had a complaints about me. And the complaints were, were justified. I think there was a, well, no, I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> it's funny, I was going to defend myself. I'm not going to. The complaints were justified. Uh, there might have been two sides to the story, but it didn't really matter. The complaints were justified. And the complaints reached the point where Swamiji actually staged a, a, what I would call what? A little intervention. So there were the two of them who were complaining against me, and Swamiji. And we started this conversation. And when the complaints were directed at me, even though I had resolved, you know, to remain calm and open, I got defensive, which was really stupid of me. But I did. I got defensive. As soon as I got defensive, then I became the problem. I mean, that, that my defensiveness could not be allowed to stand in that situation. Swamiji was right, because I was culpable. And even if I 
was sorely provoked, I was still culpable. But as soon as I was not willing to acknowledge my responsibility and became defensive, then that was the problem. So the way I, I put it is, I sat there and I watched Swamiji load their guns. <laughs> he just handed them bullet after bullet that they could shoot at me. <laughs> you know, not only in that moment, but for quite a long time afterwards, he just kept giving them bullets. And I knew it was perfectly fine because I'd earned it. And so he loaded up their guns against me and that's how the whole thing ended. <laughs> and, you know, he hinted that maybe there was responsibility on both sides, but most of the energy was to load their gun against me. And, but, Swamiji knew that, uh, how, how can I put it? He let the two people leave and kept me in the house with him for a little bit. And he never said anything to me. He didn't have to because we both knew what had happened and we both knew that we both knew what had happened and I didn't have any complaints. He was absolutely correct. And I actually, even at the time, thought it was a little amusing, but I was a little shaken still. And Swami just kept me in the house for another 10 minutes. We didn't do anything in particular. Maybe he showed me a book or something. We just did trivial things. He kept me in the house until he knew that I knew that he still respected me completely, that this had not changed anything between us. And when that was established, all this nonverbal, just completely intuitive and vibrational, then I left. But I was so impressed. I was so impressed to experience it on one side, which is the fact that, yes, you know, I'd been, I'd been really thrown under the bus, truthfully and appropriately thrown under the bus, but I'd been thrown under the bus, but he still respected me, so what difference did it make? You know, I still had my essential well-being. I just had to face into something that I had done wrong, which was one, to have antagonized these people, and two, to not have had the courage to admit it in the, in the crucial moment, to accept it without resistance in the crucial moment. But also being on the receiving end of that just taught me everything. And of course, I'm not as capable as Swamiji because I have many more karmic issues of my own. I mean, that was a typical example. But having an example from my own experience of how much difference it can make if that essential support is intact. And I've learned since then, basically, if that essential support is intact, you could say almost anything. And I remember a situation with Swamiji where there was this woman who worked for him and there was another woman who had some authority over, over the other woman. But everything that this woman would say to the woman who was working for Swamiji would be met with double-fisted defensiveness, absolutely no cooperation. And so this woman complained to Swamiji. And Swami said, it's because it's the way you're talking to her. It's because of the, the thoughts that you're holding toward her when you speak to her. And then Swami said, essentially, watch. I'll tell her exactly the same thing and she'll accept it without hesitation. And he did and she did. Because it was the thought that he was holding toward her. You know, the, the idea that, we, that our thoughts, if we don't articulate them, are not relevant is complete folly. Our thoughts in many ways are more powerful than our words because if our words are hypocritical, the thoughts are just screaming the truth 
And people don't always know what they're picking up. I was, I was forced in one circumstance to, be, to have my deposition taken by an attorney. And I was trained by the attorney representing me in this particular matter, which was not personal. It, was, uh, it happened twice. Once was a question of insurance. Um, and the other was in the midst of the other litigation. But I wasn't, I wasn't a prime player. I was quite peripheral. But the, my attorney, in both cases, said to me, only ask the questions that are asked. You know, it's their responsibility to discover the facts. It's not our responsibility in the circumstances to make it too easy for them. Don't lie, don't obstruct, but don't volunteer. And so I had to just listen to the words that were actually asked and then respond to the words that were actually asked. Of course, attorneys are all trained in this and they know what to do. It's, they're all on the same side. They work together depending on whoever they're re- representing. But what was so fascinating to me was having nothing to do with the litigation was how little communication is actually verbal. Because when I was only listening to words, um, it just like it was just an entirely different conversation. And, and because I meditate and am therefore somewhat intuitive, I could often hear his thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I could often receive his thoughts, and I had to actually be very careful not to answer his thoughts. <laughs> Because I could hear them as clearly as I could hear the words. Not literally, I don't mean that. But the intention, the meaning, what he was trying to say was just obvious. Even though if it wasn't actually asked, I didn't have to answer it. And so do we think that's not always true? Of course it's true. And so that that presents a great positive potential. So that even when the words we're saying might not sound supportive and might not sound flattering, might not sound uplifting to the person, if the entire vibration that we're putting across is one of, we're friends, and I love you, and I'm here to help you, and I know that you're a wonderful person, or I know that you could be a wonderful person, that you have great potential, that you know if we just stick with it, you're going to get this right, that sooner or later you're going to realize God. I mean, you have to be honest in your thinking also. You can't just be flattering or, or vacuous. You have to be completely sincere because on the thought level you can't lie. On the vibrational level you can't lie. So you have, to, you have to plant your respect in something that is unequivocally true. Which, you know, bottom line is we're all children of God doing our best. And that's the truth. Even if you have done something so egregious you know, that it's going to take you thousands of lifetimes to recover from it. Nonetheless, we're all equally loved by God and we're all children of God doing our best. And after we suffer enough, we will realize that. And you can always stand on that point of view. So, criticize no one. If you must offer correction, give that person a way to preserve his self-respect. When others feel your support, they will support you in turn, perhaps at times when you need it the most. Joy to you, my friends.